Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Bobby Caliendo. I'm one of the pastors here at Riverbend. And as you know, that the holidays are already upon us. Christmas decorations are already up. People are showing off or uber prepared. But what this means, though, since the holiday season is upon us, that many of us over the next few weeks will be spending lots of time with lost people, with lost family members, lost friends, lost co-workers, lost relatives. And so, in light of the current context and environment, I think it would be a good idea if we talked about evangelism tonight. Anyone agree? Okay, so we're going to talk about evangelism tonight and specifically how to engage others with the gospel and still be potentially, potentially invited back for Thanksgiving next year. All right? So we're going to be very tactful and loving and convicting, but we're going to do it in a winsome way. So tonight we have a couple goals, two primary goals. Our first goal is to build a, a stronger understanding of what exactly evangelism is. And then secondly, and very practically, we're going to learn an evangelism strategy that I've had the opportunity to develop over the years called conversational evangelism. And usually when I teach conversational evangelism, it's a class that spans over three to four weeks. So tonight you're going to get the condensed version. But if you're hungry for more, there'll be opportunities to learn more. I try to teach conversational evangelism quarterly. We go over apologetics, how to answer common questions. But tonight is that three or four weeks of material condensed into one night. So again, the main question that I'd like to start off with tonight is what is evangelism? So if you have a pen, if you have a paper, why don't you just write down for a second, in your personal opinion, what is evangelism? What is it? And really at this point, if you do not have a handout, now would be a great time to get one. Uh, we're going to refer to our handout a lot tonight because we're going to get very practical. So if you don't have one, now would be a great time to go up and get one. So hopefully by now you wrote down what you think evangelism is. And very simplistically, if you boil down the word evangelism into the Greek, evangelism means to share or to announce good news. Very simplistically, and I'm sure many of you have heard this before, evangelism means to announce good news. But I think there's a more full definition of evangelism. And I learned this more full definition from a seminary professor of mine called Timothy Booker from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And everyone should see in their handout a more thorough, a more robust definition of evangelism. So I'm going to read that. And what we're going to do is we're going to highlight a couple things that I think are very important in this definition. So let's look at this together here. This is a, a full definition of evangelism. The compassionate Sharing. So right away, if you could do me a favor, circle that word compassionate. We're going to get back to that in a second. The compassionate sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ with lost people. Why don't you go ahead and circle lost people too. In the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of bringing them to Christ. Very important, this next part. As Savior and Lord, circle that too. Maybe double circle that. As Savior and Lord, that in, they in turn might share him with others. Again, I just want to highlight a couple of things in this definition that I think are very important. And the first one is this. Notice in the very beginning, the spirit of evangelism. And the spirit of evangelism is compassion. And as you know, compassion means to have sympathetic pity or concern for the suffering or misfortune of others. As Christians, God has called us to have a deep love and sympathy for others, even the lost. But this is a very di a difficult question or maybe even a very challenging question. Do we have a deep love and sympathy for the lost? If we're going to evangelize, we've got to be serious about that question. And if we don't have a deep love for the lost, we've got to start praying. Lord, grant me that. And so at many times, um, this might be difficult. 
because around the world today, if you turn on the TV, if you look at American culture, there are lots of different culture wars going on. There's lots of different battles going on over marriage, over sexuality, over family. And once we hear all this information, we might have a, dis- a tendency, maybe at times, to maybe develop a disdain towards the lost. And we really got to keep that in check. Because as you know, God's desire for us is to reach the lost, not to disdain them, in hopes that they one day would become worshipers of Christ. And as you know, the vast, vast majority of people around the world are lost. And because of their sinful state, and this is heavy, it's very heavy, they will spend an eternity experiencing the wrath of God. That's heavy. And it's a very, very strong reality. And as we think about this, I really love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It's attributed to him. He says this, The winners of souls must first be the weepers of souls. Are we weeping for the lost? And if we are, let's get busy. Let's share the good news of Christ with them. So when it comes to evangelism, it's not just being a skilled communicator, because I know some of us are better communicators than others, but really when it comes down to evangelism, as we talk about being compassionate, it's about loving Christ and genuinely loving others, even if it's uncomfortable. we got to start there. And really, as we evaluate the ministry of Christ, as we start looking at the Gospels, we can see the compassion that Christ has for the lost in numerous different places. For example, if you look and just write this down maybe in your notes next to compassion, write down Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And again, this is, this is our Lord seeing the crowds. Again, seeing a whole bunch of lost people. If you were to roll into town and you saw a whole bunch of lost people, How would you feel? Well, let me tell you how Jesus feels. Seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like a sheep without a shepherd. Very simplistically, Jesus felt bad for them because they were lost. Do we feel bad for others because they are lost without a shepherd? Again, next in Matthew 9, 36, why don't you also write down John chapter 11, verse 35. Again, when Jesus approached Jerusalem, when he approached the city, he saw the city and wept over it. Wow, very challenging question coming. You ready? When was the last time we wept over a person that was lost, that is lost? Or better yet, when was the last time we wept for a city that was lost? We see these cities, and a lot of times we say they're getting what they deserve, and maybe so. But I think if we're going to be like Christ while we're here, before he comes back, I think our reaction ought to be, let's go get him. Because their eternity right now is going to be an eternity under the wrath of God. I want to love them and seek after them. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I read Paul and I read about his ministry, I find it to be very convicting. Anyone else? And why don't you also write down this one too, next to Matthew 9.36, next to John 35, 11.35. Why don't you write down Romans chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. And this is Paul, this is his perspective, his heart towards his lost brethren. Check this out. That I have great sorrow. I just don't feel a little bad. I feel really bad. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For... That's heavy enough, right? I don't know if you ever thought this next thought, but look, look, look at what Paul says here next. For I, could wi- for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my countrymen. Would you ever want to go to hell for someone else? 
so that they could be saved. Anybody? That's heavy. And so as we try to emulate Christ, first and foremost, as we think about evangelism, it's, Lord, help me to have a deep compassion for lost people. It starts there. But notice also in this definition, it says a compassion, but it also includes a method of evangelism. And a method of evangelism in the definition includes sharing, which is both verbal and nonverbal. We're going to talk more about this later. But also in this definition, notice the content of evangelism. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. So our posture, when we talk about Jesus, should be good, should be joyful. It's good news, not bad news. And unfortunately, I think some people are, when they talk about Jesus with others, are like, hey, uh, you're a sinner, and uh, Jesus died on the cross. Just want to let you know. No, 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 no. You're a sinner. You're on the way to hell. And by the love of God, he sent his son to die as our substitute. Isn't God awesome? You see the difference in the posture? It's good news. It's not like buying life insurance. If you sell insurance, I'm happy for you. But you see the difference. It's good news. So again, it's the good news. And even as we look at this definition under the good news of Jesus Christ, remember the incarnation when Jesus came here on earth. We see this in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Look what the angel's response was to the coming of Christ, to the, to the becoming of the good news. And it says this, and, and the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, of the shepherds are there. This is Christmas time. For behold, I bring you good news of Great joy. Jesus is here. And this next part is very important. Which will be for all people. Very important. And remember, in this definition, again, going back to this definition, who are the recipients of the gospel? Lost people. And again, as we contemplate, as we think through lost people, it's important for us to remember that they don't know where they're going spiritually. Why? Because they're lost. So when we engage a lost person, we should have realistic expectations of how they're going to respond. They're likely going to have questions, and that shouldn't upset me. They're likely going to have struggles, and that shouldn't upset me. But we should be resilient in seeking after them, despite their questions and their struggles. And this is very important because, man, I just remember when I was a teenager, and one of the first times... I heard the gospel. And maybe you remember the first time you heard the gospel. Someone shared it with you. I had a very gifted evangelist come to my front door as a teenager with two of his buddies. And his goal was to tell me about Jesus. And man, I was lost. And I remember he was sharing the gospel with me. And I remember as he was sharing the gospel to me, I was thinking, this guy is crazy. How is there only one way to God? Does he not read? Does he not understand? What about reincarnation? What about Muslims? What about atheists? What about the love of God? What about this? What about this? What about all this? I heard the gospel, but God hadn't saved me. He hadn't, he hadn't given me a new heart, but I rejected the gospel. But that same person, because he loved Christ, had a sense of resiliency. He didn't stalk me, but he was available. And I remember many years later, on a Wednesday night service, just like this, with my girlfriend, who's my now wife, running into the same evangelist, asking the same questions and hearing the gospel truth. And that night, God gave me a new heart, changed my perspective, and saved me. And God used a resilient man who cared about lost people to save me. So what kind of people are we? Are we compassionate with the lost? And are we resilient with them? Because God is resilient with us. You guys agreeing with this? Yeah? Okay, let's keep going here. So again, these are the people that we want to be. And remember, also write down in your handout, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek Remember, if you're seeking, that means you care, and that means you have a resilient heart. Again, Luke 19, 10, one of my favorite verses. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
our goals and our approach towards lost people should be the same as Christ. Again, we do this, and this is a great relief. This is a great comfort. We do this under the power of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you grateful for that? We do it underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we feel inadequate, it's okay. In those moments, we got to remember, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us through evangelism. And remember, it's not me who saves anybody. It's the power of the Holy Spirit regenerating hearts. I can't do that. So the Holy Spirit, God saves, I just deliver the mail. You see it, but I do it with joy because I know what the mail is. Okay, again, it's a great relief to know about the sovereignty of God and ultimately salvation is in his hands and not my winsome ability. So again, why? Why do we do this? And in your handout, there's a couple fill in the blanks. Why should we evangelize? Many different reasons, just two for your handout tonight. Because out of love for Christ, our aim is to emulate his compassion. Why do we evangelize? Why should we evangelize? Because out of love for Christ, our aim is to emulate his compassion. But number two, very simplistically said, why should I evangelize? Because we're commanded to do so. It is the mission of the church. Very popular verse, Matthew 28, 19. And this is, again, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. Number one, go. And when I see go, I say, take initiative. Do something. This is what Christians do. We go. But look at the next part. Go, therefore, and make disciples. This is the key verb here. This is what God wants us to do while we're here, is to make disciples of what? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Also, if you see in Matthew, you can write down Matthew 419. This is early part of Jesus' ministry. And he's talking to his early disciples. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So implicitly implied in Jesus saying that is, if you're a follower of Jesus, what are you going to do? You're going fishing. It's a part of the Christian life. So if you think you could escape evangelism and be a Christian, I don't know what book you're reading. They're tied together. To be a Christian is to evangelize. And if we're not very good at it, it's praying, God, help me do better. Because this is what God wants us to do. Also, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, another very popular verse. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again, highlighting the mission of the church. Why should we evangelize? Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, stated to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And what do witnesses do? We tell people about the facts of the gospel. And we can do it with emotion. Okay? But many of you are probably pretty fired up right now. Let's do it. Anyone want to go? Let's go. But some of us struggle with exactly how. How do I do this? I desire to reach people, but I'm struggling even how to get the words out. How do I start the conversation? So very practically, we're going to look probably at the rest of our time together on how to do this. But from a very macro level, at a high level, evangelism is a two-winged airplane. And that's in your handout. There's two wings on the evangelism airplane. And one of the first wings in evangelism is our lives, our conduct. If you share Christ with somebody and they see you're a mean person, it can be a tough road, tough sell. You're a jerk. Tell me about Jesus. That's going to go over like a lead balloon, right? So the evangelism airplane has two wings, and the first wing is our lives, our conduct, our godly example. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It is so important for us to understand that our lives give testimony to others. Our lives give testimony to others. And when people notice it, it gives glory to God. 
The purpose of letting our light shine is not to bring attention to ourselves, but to God. Our patience, our graciousness, our kindness, our strength, our confidence in truth should be distinguished or distinguishable. You should be different because of those attributes that you possess as a Christian. I love this quote from John MacArthur. It's very helpful. He says this, A godly life brings testimony of the saved people of God. A godly life brings convincing testimony of the saved people of God. However, unfortunately, for some, doing good works is where evangelism stops. And you might have heard, maybe over the years as a Christian, maybe someone say something like this. I live a good Christian life before others. This is how I evangelize. Got a verse. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We need to verbally communicate the message. And so the second wing of the evangelism airplane is our lips, our conversation, our words. As a Christian, there's a consistency between our conduct and what we say. And usually this works out in the Christian life. I'm sure many of you have great encounters with lost people in your day-to-day life. But I remember not too long ago, we had... um, we have four boys, and sometimes our, our furniture comes and goes because they're all football players. They all wrestle, and you can imagine. But I remember we had some furniture delivered at our house. And if you're delivering furniture, for the most part, you're a pretty burly guy. Maybe look intimidating to the average guy. But I remember these two guys came, and guess who happened to be home that day? I was there. And we got to talking. I gave them some, maybe a drink, something to eat. And they were really doing a good job. We live in a two-story house where they're bringing furniture upstairs. And if you ever brought furniture upstairs before, you know how difficult that is. So we were just showing the love of Christ just through our hospitality and caring for them. But then they left. And I didn't share the gospel with them. And you ever have those situations where you know you should. You're like, God, you really want me to do it. You kind of chicken out. It's not a good feeling. So I kind of felt that way to a degree when they came and we were nice and we didn't share the gospel with them. But guess what? They came back the next day with more furniture because we have four boys. And so through the second conversation, I remember standing in our street with these two big burly dudes who I had nothing in common with and just talking through the gospel, the worthiness of Christ. What are your thoughts on following Christ? Let's pray together praying in the middle of the street with two perfect strangers. Why would we do such a thing? Because we're trying to emulate Christ. And so, but in saying that, what if that first day I was mean and rude? How would day two have went? Not so good. So again, the evangelism airplane has our conduct and our lips together as we share. We might not do that perfectly, and maybe there's a lost person that you know in your life. You feel like maybe all hope is lost with sharing the gospel with them because maybe you did something in their life. You want to be different to a lost person? You do something very unique that most people don't do. You say sorry. Man, I did something. I don't know if you remember, but a couple months ago, you did uh, did a really good job at work, and I kind of took credit for it. That was really rotten. I'm going to set it right. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? They're going to look at you like you're crazy. But that's good because through representing Christ and being more like Christ, who's going to have maybe a future opportunity to share Christ with that person? You are. You are. So again, from a high level, your lips and your conduct are very important. But how? So now we're even going to get more into the details. I'm going to tell you, You don't have to say these things, but I'm going to tell you what I do. And hopefully you'll find some good information along the way. So what I've done over the years is I've looked at a lot of different evangelism methods. Some of you probably heard of them. One of them is the Faith Outline. Um, The Southern Baptist Convention put that out a few years ago or many years ago. 
Uh, some of you also have heard of like Way of the Master. Ray Comfort put that out. Um, other people have read books like Tactics. They all have strengths and weaknesses. And so what I've done is I really put together my own approach that I think works really well, and it's called conversational evangelism. So by this point, you should have a handout because we're going to start looking through this handout pretty, pretty detailed, okay? But at the, the foundation of conversational evangelism is Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. Okay, and this is very important because what we're trying to do with conversational evangelism is having a loving and casual yet convicting conversation with other people about Christ. Again, the end goal is to have a loving, casual, yet convicting conversation with others about Christ. And Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 kind of sets that out. And here it is. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but a one who has insight, draws them out. What we're trying to do with conversational evangelism is draw out what they believe about God and about spiritual things and compare it to what the Bible says through asking open-ended questions. You're drawing out spiritual data that they have deep in here. And really, in order to do this, there's three things that we need to do. And please write these down. I think they're very important. Number one is asking the right questions. If I'm going to be a good conversationalist, if I'm going to be a good conversational evangelist, I have to ask the right questions. That's number one. Number two, I have to actively listen. If you're not listening, it's going to show you don't care. And you do care because you love Christ and you love others. So number one, we want to ask the right questions. Number two, we want to actively listen. And number three, we want to direct the conversation towards the gospel. That means I'm the leader in the conversation. I'm redirecting the conversation towards the gospel. So let's think through real quick what it means to ask the right questions. And as we consider what it means to ask the right questions, it's very important to know that Jesus gives us a great example in this. How to ask questions that get people thinking seriously about God. Jesus does this in an amazing way. He forced people to start thinking about heavenly things. And what were some of the questions he asked? And as we go through some of these questions that Jesus asked his disciples and others, maybe even write down the Bible verses, because I guarantee you this, these questions that Jesus asked others are great questions that we can ask other people as well. Question number one that Jesus asked. You can write this down. Mark chapter 8, verse 29. And again, this is Jesus' conversation with Peter. But what about you? Open-ended question. He asked, who do you say I am? Man, you want to talk? What a great question to ask a Muslim, an atheist, a Hindu, an agnostic, a Jew. Who do you say Jesus is? In my experience, most people have something positive to say about Jesus, which is amazing. And so if they have something positive to say about Jesus, guess what you can do? Highlight what Jesus said. Oh, you think Jesus is a good prophet? Great. Let's look at what Jesus said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father is through me. So when Jesus said that, was he right? Or is he wrong? If he's wrong, that makes him a Ooh, they just said that he was a good prophet. Can you be a good prophet and tell lies? No. So already right away through open-ending question, you're having a, meaning conversa a meaningful conversation about Christ. Another great co uh, question that you can ask other people that Jesus asked. Why do you doubt? Matthew chapter 14, verse 31 why do you doubt? Again, Peter was walking on water and he doubted. And again, a great question that maybe we can ask other people is, why do we doubt that Jesus is the Messiah? Great question to ask a Muslim or a Jew. Why do you doubt that Jesus is the Messiah? They may have a very shallow answer or they've never given it some serious thought. Another great question, Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Hmm. you could probably ask it in a different way. What are some things in your life that you think are more valuable than Christ? Hmm. Another great question to ask another believer. 
If you were to stand before God today and to list the reasons for not following Christ, would you be satisfied with your answers? Because a lot of people have reasons they don't want to follow Christ. I want to have fun. I want to do this. I want to do that. I'll follow Jesus when I'm old and 40. I can say that because I'm 40. I'm allowed to say that. I'm 41. But to a 20-year-old, 40 is really old, right? But what you're saying when someone says this, and you're helping them understand that, is that if you were to stand before God today, what you're telling him is that your personal gratification is more valuable than having a relationship with the living God who died on a cross for us. You're just helping them take ownership of what they believe. And that's very convicting. The Spirit does a great work in that. In uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 46, oh man, this is one that's heavy. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? What a great open-ended question. Did you know, I think these percentages are going down more and more and more, but 70% of, of Americans claim to be Christian. Isn't that crazy? I think a new Pew Research study came out. I think the number might be even lower than that now, but the last one I looked at is 70% of Americans claim to be Christians. And what that's really telling me is a lot of people grow up with maybe some form of Christian heritage. Because could you imagine if 70% of America were really Christians, like our country would be radically different, right? So we know that's not true. And so what, how do I engage? And some people will say engaging people in the Bible Belt is really like the hardest ministry because they know the answers, but they're lost. So as you engage people who maybe were brought up in church, maybe know the Bible better than you, here's some great questions that you can ask them. How has Jesus' earthly ministry impacted you? Because we see over and over again, if people follow Jesus, they're radically different. And so if the earthly ministry of Christ hasn't radically impacted you, has it impacted you? Hmm. Would you say, this is another great question to ask maybe someone with a Christian upbringing, would you say Jesus is the primary leader in your life? Why or why not? Another question from Jesus, uh, John chapter 8, verse 46. If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? Great question to ask. Again, what we're doing here is we're drawing out information and comparing it to what the Bible says in a loving and winsome way. And very practically, here's some more information. So if I'm drawing out the deep waters of someone's heart. I use this methodology here, the five eyes, and you see it in your handout. The five eyes of drawing out information from people. And the first eye is introduction. Can't talk to somebody unless you introduce yourself. And I know for me, and maybe for some other people, introducing yourself isn't that big of a deal, but for many people it's very hard. Um, a lot of times when I teach conversational evangelism, I ask, when uh, the thought of introducing yourself to another person, how does that make you feel? A lot of people are like, I'm just petrified. I just don't want to do it. But remember, it's so important that everything, most things that are valuable in life require us to take initiative. And that starts with introducing yourself to a lost person. Remember, the things in your life that require initiative, your job, exercise, Parenting, everything of value requires initiative. So if you don't like other people, you're going to have to take, initi take initiative to get over it because you love Christ and you love others. And pray, God, help me to do this. Help me to rely on your spirit. I can't do it, but through your Holy Spirit, I can. He does not give us a spirit of fear or timidity. He gives one of great courage. Take comfort in that. And we see this in the early apostles. Maybe write down next to introduction. Write down Acts chapter 5, verse 42. And look at the early apostles. Look at their day-to-day -day life. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. What does their introduction look like? They're going house to house. That requires a lot of initiative because they know they're dealing with souls that are eternal. And God just resurrected. They have some great news to share with some lost people. Again, as we get this conversation started, don't ask yes-no questions. Ask open-ended questions. And here's some open-ended questions. Again, pretend you're here at Riverbend on Sunday. This is maybe how you can get started. Hello, my name is Bobby. Hello, my name is whatever your name is. What brought you here to Central Florida? 
chances are most people here at Riverbend that you don't know came here from somewhere else. And now you're talking. You just introduce yourself, hello, how are you? What brought you here to Central Florida? I ask this question, this next question, almost every day at Riverbend. How long have you been here at Riverbend? Raise your hand if I've asked you that question. I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm getting redundant. But it's a great question. How long have you been there? Because if you ask someone, is this your first time? And they've been here for 30 years, you're in trouble. So I don't want to get started on the wrong foot. I want to get off on the right foot. So again, how long have you been here at Riverbend? How did you find out about people? Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to tell you, every, almost every Sunday there's lost people here. They're here. They're in the hallways. And these are some very practical steps that we can engage in. Listen, if we can't tell people about Jesus at church, how are we going to tell them about Jesus out there? It's easy in here. They came to hear about the Bible. So again, other questions during the introduction phase. And some of these suggestions are in your handouts. Uh, Open-ended questions to talk with people. When you are not working or at school, what do you like to do? Here's a good question if you see a couple. But make sure they're a couple. Because if you ask this question and they're not a couple, awkward. Okay, you can ask this question. How long have you been together? And if they've been together for a long time, a great follow-up question that you can ask is, how did you meet? Because now you're getting to know them. You're getting to know more about their personal life, who they are. And remember, this ought not to be concocted. We're asking these questions genuinely because the love of Christ controls us. We truly want to know more about them because we want to reach them for Christ. Again, if you're a shy person, pray. Um, I used to do a lot of ministry at Embry-Riddle. I love Embry-Riddle kids. I love you guys. But a lot of them are engineers. They're really smart. Their IQ is amazing, but their EQ, love you guys. You're really smart. And so I've ministered and discipled many people who just struggled with starting a conversation. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, these guys have become great evangelists. So if you think you can't do it, I get news for you. If you can do it with an Ember-Riddle engineer, he can do it with you. And if that engineer was here today, he would be okay with me saying that. It's okay. I love him. Okay? So number two, as we're trying to engage in drawing out deep spiritual information from a person, you got to introduce yourself. But this really overlaps into the next I, which is interest. Interest, um, number two, interest. Learning more about their background. Again, we're asking more open-ended questions. Here are some examples. Where are you from? You're from New York. Oh. You run into someone from New York. Maybe Manhattan. All you have to say is tell me about New York. You just got five minutes of information. Usually most people, if they're from out of town, what do they like to talk about? Their hometown. Talk to Pastor Scott about Northern California. Hope you get time. (laughs) He'll tell you about it. How life is different there. All those different types of things. But again, we're doing this because we want to learn more about them. Okay? And so there's also lots of other questions that you could ask other people. If you see someone at the store, they have an interesting tattoo. Tell me about that tattoo. I remember I was at a store not too long ago. There was this young lady. She had a very interesting cartoonish thing on her arm. I said, what is that? Oh, and, you know, it's just very interesting. It's just a decision I wouldn't have made like what she put on her body. But I asked her about it. I was like, oh, that's a very interesting tattoo. I asked it nicely and kindly. Could you tell me more about it? Well, to be honest with you, um, this tattoo um, is a a character from a video game that my dad and I used to play. And it was the first video game that we ever, like, beat together. And my dad has subsequently died and I just wanted this tattoo to remember my relationship with my dad. Well, that's a very intimate conversation right there. Starting with an open-ended question, being interested in their life. And does that transition really well into telling them at some point in a couple sentences down the line about our Heavenly Father? It does. It pivots really nicely into that. Again, these are lots of different questions. You can ask people about their kids. If you see their kids, ask them about their kids. They're so important to them. If you see someone with grandkids, ask about their grandkids. Shows that you care about them, okay? So we're asking where they're from. We're asking about their family. We're asking about their hobbies. We're asking about interests. It might be a little awkward, but keep at it. And if it does feel awkward, remember what you're doing is you're building trust. 
You're showing that you care about them. You're investing in them. Tell that to yourself. I'm investing in this person. And remember, in the busy world that we live in today, very few people are willing to invest time in other people. So right away, you're drastically different because you're investing something that's very valuable, which is time. And if you're investing time in people, people will more often than not talk to you. Okay? Number three. Also, as you're asking open-ended questions, just a tip here. Don't be afraid to reciprocate and talk about yourself. If you keep firing off questions the whole time, they're going to feel like they're interrogated, like they're in an FBI scenario. So it's just good manners to say, well, let me tell you a little bit about me, but you want to spend more time getting to know them, but give them a break. Okay? Very practical tip there. Uh, number three, the third I, is involvement. So I've learned, I introduced myself, I know about their interest, and now I'm getting a little bit closer to the heart. And this is where I want to go. I want to be right closer to the heart, getting closer and closer. And so what I'm trying to do is find out what their involvement in churches or what their involvement in spiritual practices are. I'm drawing out personal information, and I'm also drawing out spiritual information. And this really works off of their background. So if someone tells you about New York, you can ask a very easy question. Hey, since you're from New York and you're making them the expert, since you're from New York and I'm not, could you tell me more about the spiritual pulse of New York City? Hey, you know, I, I'm a crazy Southerner. I watch the news and, man, New York looks like a crazy place. Are there any churches in New York? Can you tell me about that? So what did I do in that this conversation? I drew closer to the heart and their thoughts about spiritual things. Now we're talking about the spiritual pulse of New York City. And this can happen from people from California, from New York, all these different types of places. I remember not too long ago, I was on an airplane, and man, evangelism, air, evangelism on an airplane is like the best because you have a captive audience. They're not going anywhere. They're locked in. You can just keep talking and talking. They can't get off the plane. And if they stand in the hallway, like the attendants can tell them to sit back down and sit next to you. But be nice. Um, and again, this is a very interesting tip. You want to be loving. You want to be courteous. So if someone is giving you the body language, like they don't want to talk about it anymore, you've done everything that you could. You're obeying the Great Commission. You're trying to tell people about Jesus. If you're inside a building and you're sharing about Christ and they put on sunglasses, it's kind of your clue. You should stop talking. So don't be oblivious, okay? But you be kind and courteous. And then also if they're putting on sunglasses or something like that happens, you can very gently and courteously ask a question like, is it okay if we keep talking about this? And every time I ask that question, I would say 99% of the time if I ask somebody, is it okay if we keep talking about this, what do they say? Yes, because no one else is willing to talk to them about it. I remember talking to a Mormon about this on the last time I was on our plane. Is it cool that we're talking about this? Yes, because everyone is so afraid to talk to me about this kind of stuff. No one wants to talk about religion. But guess what? You love Christ, you will. So you're radically different in the things that you talk about. Again, as someone starts talking about their spiritual background as you're finding out their involvement in church, please, please, please do not assume that just because someone goes to church that they're saved. All across America, there is plenty of people attending churches who are not saved. Man, I have so many examples about this, but for the sake of time, come to Growing in Christ, the three to four week session, I'll give some examples of this. But I remember not too long ago, I asked somebody, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? And this person told me, oh, oh, I'm going to heaven because I'm saved. And you would think by using that Christianese talk, that I would just stop or just assume that they got it figured out. But it's okay to ask for more. And I remember asking this person, oh, you're saved? That's awesome. You know what? I hear that word all the time. What does it mean to be saved? Could you help me better understand what you mean by that? You know what she said? I don't know. Could you tell me about it? <laughs> I'd love to. But this happens all the time. Just because people do Christianese things, go to church, or use some kind of Christian vernacular, don't assume that they're saved. And this really leads to our next point, is number four, as we're trying to get to the heart of the matter here, is inquiry. I've been spending a lot of time with somebody. I get to know more about their family, their background, where they're from. And for the most part, all you've been doing right now is listening. And you're going to continue listening. And you're going to ask a very thought-provoking question. I do this all the time. You might think this is heavy. It's really not that big of a deal. But before you ask this next question, I try to ask for permission. 
Because so far we've been talking about family, where you're from, but now you're really gonna ask a loaded question. So before I ask a loaded question, I ask for permission. Hey, do you mind, based on all your spiritual background in New York, or based on your Catholic upbringing in Kentucky, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? And I'm telling you, I'm not lying, the vast majority of the time people say, yes, fire away. And then I ask a question like this. In your personal opinion, what do you believe it takes for a person to go to heaven? How they answer that question will tell you if they know the gospel. If they say good works, you know what you're working with. Okay? Uh, many pe- and again, many people enjoy this stimulating conversation. And remember, when, notice the key word there, when they give the wrong answer, control your body language. If they say, I believe that I'm going to come back as a grasshopper and do it again, (laughs) your reaction is not, oh. (laughs) Because what are they going to feel in that moment? They're going to feel like an idiot. And guess who's not going to be able to talk to them anymore? You. You've done so good up to this point. Control yourself, okay? So when they say something to me like, oh, I'm going to come back as a grasshopper, huh. Again, they're lost. Remember, we know this. We're prepared for this. Expect crazy answers. Oh, you're going to come back from, uh, as a grasshopper. Can you tell me how you came to that conclusion? <laughs> you're laughing, but this is serious. I mean, ask them that. And what will happen as people give these answers that might pass in a public university system, and people might applaud that answer, and they might think it's really great when they're in a situation. When they give these crazy answers, again, they're lost. One, and this is a tip. Reflect it back to them. What I mean by that is summarize what they just said and say, oh, so what you're telling me is that when I die, my spirit will drift over to a grasshopper and I'll have consciousness and I'll exist for a grasshopper for a couple weeks. Is that what you're telling me? Dang, that sounded pretty dumb. Yeah, it does. But again, they're not thinking these things through. They're taking something that they heard from a university and just regurgitating. Most people have not thought about these things for a prolonged period of time. And so what you're doing through talking by asking these questions, you're exposing that they have very little expertise on the most important thing. That is their relationship with God. You're helping them see that. And it comes up through these questions. Again, inquiry number one. um, In your personal opinion, what do you believe it takes for a person to go to heaven? Remember, be sympathetic. They're lost. You're drawing out, be calm and collective. Remember, our job is not to just be some kind of lawyer. We're not combating back and forth. We're just trying to better understand where they're coming from, okay? Um, say something like this. My wife taught me that. This next, this next follow-up question, tell me more. Someone gives a crazy answer, tell me more. Keep talking. I want to know. I want to know, okay? Try to, like I said earlier, try to make them an expert in what they're saying, Okay? Um, when someone answers this question and they give a really outlandish answer, like, what about UFOs? Please, please, please don't linger on distracting information because I don't want to spend the next 30 minutes talking about UFOs because that really has no pertinence to what we're talking about right here. What we're talking about is there's a holy God, you're a sinner, how are you going to get right with him? And a lot of people will do that. They'll throw out distracting information. Don't get distracted. Stay on point. Okay, question number two, if you don't want to ask that in your personal opinion, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? This is another question that you can ask. Man, we're almost out of time. Based on your knowledge and understanding of history, why do you think Jesus died on the cross? I remember being at Embry-Riddle University, going to a, um, sharing the gospel with some people. You go to Embry-Riddle? High five. I love you, girl. That's good. She is giving me mean mug right now. But I remember being at, it's called the, the Center of Spirituality. You know where that is, Ryland? And I remember being in there, and I remember doing an event and sharing the gospel. I think one of our missionaries was there with me. I think Kyle Stringer was there with me that night. And we hung out afterwards, and a group of Catholic girls were getting together to talk about Catholicism because they grew up Catholic. And so we ran into one another. She had her rosary breeds. And you know what? seems like she's a disciplined young lady. That's great. seemed like she knew probably her Bible. She probably had a good upbringing. And I remember asking this question. I remember, based on your understanding, growing up Catholic, why do you think Jesus died on the cross? What do you think she said? She either said one of two things. 
I don't know. Or number two was to provide a good example. A lot of people will say that, to provide a good example. So be prepared for that, calm, collective. And then this next question is so important. For the vast majority of the conversation, you've been listening. So inquiry number two is so important. Do you mind if I share with you what the Bible says? Do you mind if I share what the Bible says? Again, most of the time, 99% of the time, people say yes. You've been so kind, you've been so courteous. What does the Bible say about salvation? And here we go. Man, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to go through this pretty quick. Come back again for conversational evangelism. I'll give you some more details. But as I walk someone through what the Bible says, I start with sin. In order to see their need for a Savior, someone needs to know that they're a sinner. And there's many reasons I start here, but that's one of them. But I usually start off, what does the Bible say about going to heaven? I say, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a Bible verse. But I don't assume that they know that verse, because they likely never heard it. So I break it down even more simplistically. I say, what that really is telling us is that there's no such thing as a perfect person. And again, I'm soliciting their feedback. Would you agree? And the vast majority of people would agree with you that there's no such thing as a perfect person. So by asking them about sin early, they're already agreeing with you about biblical truth, that everybody's messed up. You with me? And so a lot of people will say, do you agree? And they say, yes. Well, okay, good. But a lot of them, when you talk to people, have a very low view of God and a very high view of self. And so what we're trying to do in the next step is show them the seriousness of their sin. There's a lot to say here, but you're trying to show them the seriousness of our sin. And that's number two in terms of sharing the gospel with other people. You're helping them understand what the penalty of sin is before a holy God. And that's why the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. And when I say that to somebody, I, I help them to understand. I was like, listen, God is loving. He is kind but he's also a just God. And I ask them, do you agree? Yeah, that just sounds right, that God is a just God. So if God is a just God, that means he must punish sin. If he doesn't punish sin, that makes him unjust. Are you willing to say that God's unjust? No, I can't go there. Okay, so, so far you've been Daisy Downer. You've told him that they're a sinner. You've told him that the wages of sin is death before a holy God, but now it's time to highlight Jesus. And in your handout, you'll provide with them, you'll see it here, with the solution for their sin, and that's Christ. And remember, Jesus came to save us from death and to give us life. So important. And I have four verses that I use a lot. Hopefully in your handout, if not, write down 2 Corinthians 5.21, Romans 5.8, John 3.16, John 3.36. Remember these verses. And so when you talk about these verses with somebody, just don't fire it off as though they know what you're talking about. For example, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him. You say it like that to a lost person, they're going to say, what are you talking about? What you're telling them, and break it down very simplistically, the wages of sin is death. I deserve the wrath of God, but God came in the form of his son and died on the cross as my substitute. If you're talking to a kid, you can tell them, Jesus took the spanking that you deserve. And there's verses that see this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us as our substitute. Jesus is our loving substitute. So many great verses, but I try to highlight that substitutionary atonement. Then after I provide the solution, the next part is I talk about faith. Jesus is the solution, but forgiveness is experienced only through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And one of the great verses that I use a lot is Romans 10.9. And this is why my oldest son, this is why his, his name is Roman. Because Romans 10.9 was the first verse I got as an early Christian. Because someone told me, by being a Christian, you're signing up to be an evangelist. This was the first one I memorized. Very important verse, Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When I have this verse, and Pastor Scott taught me this, when you're going over verses with somebody, if you have time, open up your phone, open up a Bible, have them put their finger on the verse, have them read it to you. The power is in the verse, not in you. Have them read it to you. And then ask them, what does this verse mean? They're going to say, I don't have a clue. Can you help me out? I'd love to. Okay, again, Romans 10.9. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You can ask somebody, what does that mean? I don't know. Can you tell me? Yes, it means this. 
Jesus came, died on the cross for me. I cannot comprehend the love of God that he would do that. But since he did that for a sinner like me, I see him as infinitely worthy. And so since I see him as infinitely worthy, I'm living for him from now on, not for myself. So what does it mean that Jesus is my Lord? He's my leader. I'm following him because of who he is and what he does. They're not going to know what Jesus is Lord means. They're going to tell him. Make sense? Going fast. Here we go. Um, come back to, I teach soteriology in a couple weeks um, in my class. And when I mean soteriology, I mean the study of salvation. I walk through what, it, what faith looks like, what repentance looks like. But as you're engaging someone with the gospel, make sure they know what it means to have faith. And to have faith means to trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But if you trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, guess what will happen? Repentance. It will happen. They'll change direction if they truly love Christ. And again, a lot of people ask me, can I use my personal testimony when I share the gospel with other people? Go for it. You have an amazing testimony. But as you share your testimony, make sure you highlight truth. Biblical truth. Don't spend 20 minutes talking about your addiction. Say, you know, for a long period of time, I was lost living for myself. But there's a season of life that I came into. God showed me something. He showed me I was a sinner. and I was in need of a savior. He gave me faith. I trusted in him and I repented. This is what God did in my life and this is who I am now. Everybody who's a Christian can say that in your testimony. So make sure you highlight those things. The fifth I is this. Give them an invitation to respond. Some doctrines of grace, people might be afraid of me saying this. But you're inviting them. You're inviting them to respond to what they have heard. For example, understanding what we have shared, what are your thoughts on following Jesus? Great question. Give them the opportunity to respond to the truth that they just heard. And again, it's amazing what God can do in these situations. So also give them a discipleship path. Listen, this is amazing information. Would you like to meet again? I would meet with you. How about we meet next week at Panera at 5 o'clock? Or why don't you come to my Sunday school class? Why don't you come to my community group? We can learn more together. I will walk with you. So invite them to respond to the information that you have shared with them. A couple of last thoughts. Don't be surprised what God can do with you. I remember when I was in early 20s, the first time I shared the gospel, I shared with a friend of mine that I used to do a whole bunch of rotten things with. We did a lot of bad stuff together. God saved me. He was over at my house. And I remember just being nervous. Like many of you probably are nervous even thinking about sharing the gospel with somebody. And I remember telling this person, did you know that Jesus came and died on the cross and you can be saved? I was a hot mess. And then when we were done, and this tells you that God saves sinners, not us. This is what God does. I share the gospel, very nervous, very probably convoluted. It was a mess, but the truth was there. And I asked him, in light of what we just talked about, what are your thoughts on following Jesus? Dude, I'm all in. <laughs> what? What just happened? This is crazy. This can happen in your life. God, can, God uses the power of his word and the gospel to save souls, even with messed up people like us. It can happen. Let me give you a challenge real quick. I challenge all of us in this room. Lost people are coming. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve. You're going to be around some lost people. Can you commit to yourself? Look down, commit to yourself. Can I do it at least once? A lot of people just bring this with them. Look at it. Ask them questions. I give you some information on how to do it. But number two, this is a real opportunity. Um, I know the academic dean at DME Academy here in um, Daytona Beach, and she has 70 international students who are in need of a place to go for Thanksgiving. We talk about going to the world, but sometimes the world comes to us. And if the world comes to us, how are we going to respond accordingly? So if you're somebody who has maybe two to five seats in your home and would like the opportunity to have an international student who perhaps might know very little to nothing about Jesus in your home, pray over dinner, and ask some great questions, I'd love to hear from you. I'm going to be here. My email is bobby at Riverbend Church. I will guide you in the right places. Man, consider that. Consider sharing with one person. Consider being uncomfortable, because Christ got extremely uncomfortable for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for this group of people that desire to follow Christ. 
in sharing the good news of Christ with others. Help us to do it with joy and enthusiasm, but help us to do it with confidence, Lord, knowing that you save souls. And help us, Lord, to enjoy participating in what you're doing, Lord. Help us to understand that you've called us to go and make disciples and help us to pursue that, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.